Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Greetings from the uh, radio ranch, the undisclosed secret location of the Michael Duke Show, which is my right next to my bedroom. Hello, good morning, and welcome to the program. It is the Tuesday edition of the show, and we are ready to get into it and do our thing. Uh, Tuesday means we are ready to dive deep. Dive deep into the good stuff. The weekly top three is about to uh, be unleashed on us from Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is waiting in the wings in the green room, hanging out, ready to go. We're going to talk with him this morning, and uh, <laughs> Bill in the chat room just said, can we just talk to Boz this morning instead of Brad? Bosco is my dog. Uh, and, uh, you know, it'd probably feel better. It'd probably feel better than all that truth bomb that Brad's about to drop on us. Um, but Bosco is not much of a conversationalist, unfortunately. Uh, he does he does look at you longingly with those deep, dark brown eyes, but uh, not nearly as interesting as that goes. Uh, in Hour 2 today, we're going to be talking with Chris Story, the man from Homer, but actually we're going to be doing two segments with Chris. The first segment is going to be a segment on uh, how to become a backyard millionaire. A little bit of dis- discussion about... Uh, Real estate and other things. And then we'll get into the weekly Betterman segment with Chris and have a discussion with him about all the good stuff that's going on around the thing and everything else. So it's going to be good stuff. But uh, without further ado, let's just get into the weekly top three. That's the big three topics that uh, come on board every week uh, with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, which is a group work. It's pretty self-explanatory. Sustainable budgets. That's what we've been trying to for 10 years. Brad and I have been trying to get this done. It's uh, anyway, we're going to talk about that right now. Let's bring Brad Keithley on board and uh, say good morning. Hello, post Turkey Day, sir. How are you doing? Merry Christmas season to you, Michael. I was enjoying your Christmas Spotify list or whatever it was. I know. Christmas playlist. That was the Christmas playlist. That is actually my Christmas Spotify list, which I share with listeners every year. It's 10 hours and 36 minutes of nothing but Christmas standards, classic Christmas music, which, of course, I can't play during the show. But uh, before the show and in the green room, Brad was enjoying it with me. We were enjoying a little bit of... uh, little bit of classical Christmas. I said, what the heck? I'll just break it out, man. It's post, it's post Thanksgiving. It's not now it's now is the season. Uh, so we're enjoying it. Was your Turkey day all good? Did you enjoy some, uh, some time? It, I, it was, it was spectacular. I had great Turkey on Thanksgiving day. And then I went down to Seattle and in rapid succession over three days, saw Taj Mahal, uh, a favorite, uh, blues guitarist, uh, uh on Friday night, saw Mannheim steamroller, 
who I really enjoy wow. once a year yeah. on Saturday. And then saw uh, uh, ACT Theater, Seattle's AT, ACT Theater's uh, production of A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol on Sunday. Wow, so, so you're like totally in the groove now for Christmas. I am. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Brad, let's, uh, let's get started on the weekly top three. We're going to start off today with the... Uh, with the next election, it's already shaping up. You can see the battle lines are going to be drawing, and one of the biggest the one of the biggest races is going to be down on the peninsula. Uh, give me your thoughts on what's happening down there. Well, must read had, uh, carried the story uh, early, a little bit earlier before uh, before Ben filed, uh, but in its uh, uh, summary of what's going on, the the weekly filings of who candidate filings uh, uh, that's carried in Alaska landmine uh, a lot of Sundays. Uh, they said that uh, they had this representative Brent, Ben Carpenter filed a challenge. Senator Jesse Bjorkman, Bjorkman was elected last year after defeating Republican Tuckerman Babcock. I, um, I think just in, in this, perhaps in the same way that Bjorkman versus Babcock was last election cycle, I think this election cycle uh, 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 Ben Carpenter versus Bjorkman is going to be the bellwether uh, for where the state goes. When we saw in, in an election that saw uh, Tuckerman defeated and other uh, fiscally conservative candidates defeated, uh, we saw what that did to the Alaska Senate. The Alaska Senate came out uh, with a strong majority in favor of spending but not paying for it. Uh, and uh, uh, Bjorkman certainly uh, fits in that mold. Um, I, I think that we're going to see the same sort of bellwether effect coming out of the Carpenter-Bjorkman uh, race. Ben, uh, I think, is, uh, has been a, a, a good, solid fiscal conservative during his time in the House. Uh, I think he's been a good chair uh, of Ways and Means. Not sure that the other members of Ways and Means have been good members, but I, I think Ben's been a good chair um, of ways and means, uh, and has uh, and has been realistic in the proposals that he's brought forward uh, in ways and means. Fiscally responsible, certainly in, in the proposals he's brought forward uh, in, in ways and means. Um, and I think uh, I think he's you know a, a, an outstanding candidate for that seat. I'm excited to see him uh, running against Bjorkman. Bjorkman, on the other hand, I think has been um, uh, the, the, the type of Republican that we see in the state sometimes that's a Republican, uh, but, but not very fiscally conservative. Uh, Jesse was one of those who pushed for increased K through 12 spending, uh, one who bemoans the governor's, uh, uh, veto of a portion of the additional K through 12 spending that was, that was passed. Um, and Jesse's one of those who wants to pay for it in the most regressive possible manner possible. Uh, through uh, through additional PFD cuts uh, and 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 pushing the burden of state spending more and more off on middle, particularly middle. Uh, I mean, sometimes we emphasize lower uh, income Alaska families, but it's really middle income fa Alaska families who are bearing the brunt of this, pushing the burden of government spending off on middle income Alaska families. Um, and I think Ben will bring some realis realist realism. Uh, to that race and uh, and make it into a, 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 a race that really focuses on are you a fiscal conservative or not? If you're a fiscal conservative, what does that mean? 
uh, a responsible fiscal conservative. What does that mean? Uh, and uh, and and uh, uh, issues around that. I suspect that Jesse will highlight Ben's proposal of a sales tax to uh, substitute for, for PFD cuts. I suspect that Jesse will demagogue that and say that Ben's been is irresponsible and Ben's trying to, you know, create taxes in a state that's 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 not had taxes uh, and try to tag him as a as a as a taxer. It's not fair. I mean, as as uh, as we've known for a long time and is confirmed by uh, a recent ICER, uh, uh, an op-ed by uh, an ICER uh, professor. Uh, PFD cuts are taxes. They're the most regressive tax ever, uh, ever proposed to, to complete the quote. Um, and they just happen to hit middle uh, and lower income Alaska families, uh, families the hardest. Ben's um, sales tax is, is still somewhat regressive, but certainly hugely less regressive than, uh, than PFD cuts uh, and much more uh, uh, spreads the burden much more across all uh, Alaskans and includes non-residents, which PFD cuts don't. So we get a, about a 10% gain out of out of shifting a portion of the burden to non-residents. Um, I think Ben. I think Ben's been hugely responsible in uh, in in that proposal. So I suspect Jesse will try to demagogue it, try to you know make it out to be something it's not, try to shift the blame from him, uh, claim that he's a, a no tax guy when in fact he's the most regressive tax guy. Shift the blame from him and try to shift it over to Ben. Uh, but I suspect Ben will do a good job. I anticipate Ben will do a good job uh, rebutting that. So I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be a great race, and I think it's going to be, as I said, uh, sort of the bellwether of um, of what uh, of what we can see, what we may be able to see uh, in the subsequent legislature when that election's over. Uh, Tuckerman had a lot of baggage, personal baggage. I was uh, just going to ask you, as if, you know, in a post analysis, I think Tuckerman, a solid conservative, but I thought he, I thought he brought a lot of negative stuff to the race, just with a track record and some baggage for sure. Well, yeah, he brought a, he brought baggage from his time as chair of the party. He brought baggage from his time as as, as chief of staff of of, of Governor Dunleavy's uh, uh, first administration, uh, first chief of staff of the of the Dunleavy administration. Uh, and uh, and you know the, the the firings and and all the sort of stuff that uh, that went with that. Ben has none of that. Um, I don't think, in all honesty, uh, to be uh, I don't think I don't think Tuckerman was also a great candidate on fiscal conservatism. He was a great candidate for spending cuts. Certainly, he had been a proponent of that in the administration, had pushed back on that in the administration, but didn't talk about you know the reality of the fact that once. Uh, uh, the veto once the the uh, the the Dunleavy administration sort of softened on those on that cutting stance, the reality that we had to have some sort of revenues uh, to uh, to avoid continued deficits. Now that now that we were out of uh, out of savings, so I don't think Duck, I don't think Tuckerman really fully created the the full fiscal conservative uh, picture uh, in that race. Um, ben certainly has Ben stepping forward and saying, look, we've got to be fiscally responsible. We've got to have, you know, if we're going to continue, if, if we're going to continue the spending and, you know, we have, if we're going to continue the spending, we've got to be fiscally responsible and we've got to find better ways, more equitable ways, lower impact ways, uh, of funding it than, uh, than using, uh, using PFD cuts. We've got to find relief, 
uh, for middle-income Alaska families, which sales taxes are really for middle-income Alaska families, tax relief uh, for middle-income Alaska families. And we've got to find ways to, you know, to, to do this better. We've got to find a way, his vision was, we've got to find a better way of doing corporate taxes. Our corporate taxes are among the highest in the nation taxes on corporations. We don't tax many, but we tax some. Um, and, um, and we got to find a better way to do corporate taxation, taxation and make Alaska a more uh, business friendly place. And so he was using a portion of the sales tax revenues to reduce uh, corporate taxes and sort of a tax uh, rate redesign. Um, and I, and I think that's a, I think he's, he's taken hugely responsible positions on that. I suspect right. As I well, say, I, mean, I suspect Jesse's going to push those, but he, he's got into the details. I mean, that's the thing. Ben provides you with details and drill down stuff instead of just saying we'd love to spend and then never giving you an idea of how he expects to support all this extra spending. Ben has actually taken the time to break all that stuff down. Uh, hence his proposal for the sales tax as an alternative revenue measure uh, to actually pay for some of the things they're talking about. So um, I, I think people will find him to be, again, thoughtful and, uh, and you know, having a full plan instead of just talking points, I guess. I'm going to be interested to see how that race develops in terms of how they deal and how both sides deal with that issue. I think, as I said, I think Jesse will, will, uh, will demagogue it. I think the way to, 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 to talk about the, the, the revenue structure that Ben's proposed is to say it is tax relief for middle-income Alaska families and just go full bore into explaining how PFD cuts are a hugely regressive tax on middle-income and lower-income Alaska families and how a sales tax is tax relief is a, is a spreading of the burden to include uh, non-residents uh, in, the, in the tax burden and uh, in, the, in the revenue generation. And I and I think that's a great I think that's a great way to sell it. Uh, I'll be interested to see how it develops. How Ben argues that case uh, as Jesse uh, tries to tries to sting him with the with the with the proposal that Ben's put on the on the on the House floor. Brad Keithley, Alaskans with Sustainable Budgets, is our guest. Uh, we're just finishing up with number one. Give us a tease for number two, Brad. Here before we go. Number two is uh, we're going to have uh, we, we've had more definition of the issues that are coming up. Uh, uh, the session, the the issues around the session are starting to sharpen. We have the the inevitable Larry Persily column that uh, the, discusses it, and we have uh, some other stuff that's gone on in the last uh, week or so at the in the in the legislature that uh, I think gives us a, gives us some more insight. We'll continue with the weekly top three in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Luke Show continues. Chris Story coming up in hour two for a double segment dose of double segment. It's anyway, it's going to be fun. Come on in uh, and join us. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Listen to by more staffers in Juno than any other show because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, continues with us here at the break. Brad, you made an interesting um, point, uh, which we really haven't dived into in the past, because normally when we talk about those being affected by PFD cuts, etc., um, you talk about the middle and lower class and... But I, I think you made a valid point when you say the ones that are being truly affected 
maybe not numerically as far as percentiles, uh, but as far as the actual effect, are the uh, middle-income folks because they're the ones that see all the 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 negatives of the cut. They don't the money doesn't hit their accounts. They don't have it available and everything else. Yet at the same time, they are not allowed. Uh, components of the social safety net and other expenditures that the state is giving for folks on the lower end of the of the uh, in- income spectrum. So while everybody in the lower 70, 80 percentile is feeling the bite, those in the middle are the ones that are feeling it the most because they get the cut, but they don't get any of the benefits from the spending on the state side uh, for social services or social safety net stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right, Michael. And And numerically, they're by far the largest uh, group that's that's impacted. And when you break uh, 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 a population down by income brackets, you usually do it by quintiles. You have the low twenty, the lower middle twenty, the middle middle twenty, the upper middle twenty, and then the and then the the top twenty percent. So, sixty percent of of the of the brackets are middle income, lower middle middle, and, and upper middle. And you're exactly right. The, the the social safety net really applies to the low 20, but that remaining 60% that sits in the middle doesn't really have a lot of access to it. At the margins, the lower middle have some access to it, but certainly not to the same degree that the that the low 20% does. So you got 60% of the population sitting in there. And I did we did an analysis the other day uh, for one of the columns that looked at what's the effective tax rate on on that on that middle income sector that middle 60 percent the effective tax rate using pfd cuts using the fy24 pfd cuts is above six percent it's about 6.5 percent so you're taxing middle income is higher on the low 20. i don't you know the the numbers your eye goes to that big bar that sits out there when you do the quintile analysis it's higher on the low 20 but it's still six and a half percent uh on the uh, on the middle 60 percent versus about a three and a half to a four percent tax that would apply average tax that would apply if you did if you did a flat tax so you're significantly you know you have a double tax double the the tax that would result from a flat tax across the board you have double the tax on middle income alaska families not as huge as it is on the low 20 but it's still a huge it's a huge bite out of middle income alaska uh, families income and i think that's you know that Probably I've I've contributed to that heavily by you know talking about middle and lower income, but it really is the middle income families that are that are getting hit the hardest uh, by these by the PFD tax. Um, and I think I think Ben's got a hugely strong case to make, saying, "Look, this is the tax impact on the middle income Alaska families uh, from PFD cuts. This is the tax impact from my proposed alternative." What, why, Jesse, are you opposing that? Right. Why, right. Why, why, why ever would you oppose tax relief for the for the broad 60 percent of middle income Alaska families? And I and I think that's where I think to me, that's where the race will end up being. Right. Well, and I think the interesting thing is the trickle down from a lot of that when it comes to things like uh, entrepreneurship and job creation and malinvestment of extra monies. That that sixty percent quintile in the middle are the ones that are generate. They're the ones that are the creators mostly of small business, and when they don't have the excess funds, when they don't have the monies coming in to be able to to benefit and donate that, that's where it really hurts the economy in the long run because of that uh, job growth, business growth, job creation, entrepreneurship, and those things are really hurting too. Yep, the Rob Myers points. 
So I mean, all those are the Rob Myers points. So the question really ought to be, how can we do it better? How yeah. can we treat middle-income Alaska families better? All right, we're going to continue on. Brad Keithley is our guest. Uh, please like and share the show. Like and follow the show page. Do all the kind of, you know, the things, the YouTube, the Facebook things. You can share it from wherever you're at. Wherever you're watching it, you can share it right now. Let's get back into it. <clears throat> Brad Keithley uh, continues. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Uh, let's go. Here we go. Let's, let's, let's do it. All right, we're continuing now uh, with Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, the uh, We're into the holiday season here, so we're going to start lightening some things up, except for Tuesdays, where you're going to continue to get the hell beat out of you by Brad Keithley. That's what it is. Which reminds me, uh, I don't know if Brad put up, a, uh, if he put up a recipe on the recipe contest page, but we are running our holiday recipe contest right now, which you can find over at uh, Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. Post up your favorite family recipe, that secret one that Grandma said never to share with anybody. Why, Grandma? Why? And uh, the recipe that gets the most thumbs up and interactions and votes will be the winner. And that person will receive a bag of beard curler coffee and a, a 6 o'clock club coffee mug. It'll be fun stuff. Uh, Brad, number two, uh, it's, uh, it's into the session. It's just right around the corner, and it's already shaping up. We're seeing the battle lines being drawn. I mean, we kind of knew it's going to be a continuation of the last session, but there's still more. What is your uh, what is your thing? Well, Larry Persley, uh, who writes a, a weekly editorial for the paper he owns, the Wrangle Sentinel, uh, sometimes that well, often that uh, column is picked up by the ADN uh, and others around the state. And this is this is one of those. He wrote a pre-Christmas opinion that said, uh, "Don't let the this Thanksgiving, don't let Alaska politics give you heartburn, uh, was the title of it. And mostly it's about, you know, how Thanksgiving is a great time to remember and be, you know, sentimental and, and, and have enjoy family. But then he gets down to, you know, down halfway through the column and it says, I expect, then he says, you know, don't let the, don't let the session, uh, don't let the politics uh, ruin your Thanksgiving. But then he goes ahead and ruins everybody's Thanksgiving with the rest of the column. Uh, and he says, I expect the biggest debates next session will be how much more the state should spend to support public education and how much the state should spend to increase the amount of the permanent fund dividend. That's the way it's been for years. All other issues fall away as lawmakers and the governor fight over the two largest items in this budget. It's nostalgia at its worst. It's a sad, repetitive menu made unhealthier by the governor and his supporters putting a large dividend above all else. They pledge a big PFD, bigger PFD that the state treasury can afford, knowing they won't win in the legislature, but will win with many voters. It's my cynicism acting up again, he says. What's not in this column, what's not in any um, uh, progressive, uh, which I think Larry would be classified as, not in any you know progressive talking point, is you can make it better, Larry. We can all make it better by substituting a, a less regressive, lower impact uh, revenue source uh, than PFD cuts. He, they don't, they don't want to talk about 
they don't want to talk about anything other than PFD cuts. Doesn't affect them. Most of them, a lot of them are in the top 20%. Uh, they don't want to talk about anything other than PFD cuts for, uh, for, for closing the budget. They don't want to say, look, we want better K through 12 in this. They, they don't want to be honest and say, look, we want better K through 12 in this state. And we, the advocates of better K through 12 in this state, are willing to help pay for it by you know paying an appropriate amount of, of revenue uh, burden and adopting a measure which would shift a portion of the burden to uh, non-residents. They don't step up and say that. What they basically say is we want more K through 12 spending in the state and we want you middle income, middle and, and lower income, but mostly middle income. We want you middle income Alaska families to pay for it. We want to enjoy it. We want our Johnny to go to, to, go to a, a great school, a school that's supported by higher spending. We want him to get all of the benefits that we think will come from that higher spending. We want our, our son, our Johnny to, to, to benefit from that, but we don't want to pay for it. We want to push that burden uh, off on you. And I think that's, you know, th that's the message you never, ever, ever hear from Elise Galvin and from Larry Persley and from all the other progressives out there. They don't have a sense of responsibility for what they're for to pay for what they're advocating. It's like free goods to them. Uh, and they just want they want middle income Alaska families uh, to bear mostly to uh, to bear the burden of it. So uh, it, we're, we're seeing we're seeing the debate start up again. We're seeing the progressives again do this. We want to spend more, but we don't want to pay for it. Uh, act. And it's just it's just very frustrating. One other thing I'll say uh, that was that was interesting. Uh, Matt Buxton has a column in what's the Alaska Current, uh, which I uh, uh, an online uh, column, which uh, or an online paper, which I read occasionally, and it says Alaska, and it talks about a, 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 a committee meeting, House Labor and Commerce Committee meeting, over a proposal to reduce what 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 most people characterize as as reducing uh, the uh, tax burden on pot, on marijuana, changing the marijuana tax. The title of the column, if anybody wants to go read it, is Alaska House Committee Revises Proposed uh, Pot Sales Tax. What that, what they're really doing, I mean, we already have a, a sale, we already have a tax on marijuana. And what they're really doing is what economists would call rate redesign, tax rate redesign. They're, they're taking the tax that, that that taxes some things that that at levels that are problematic to the to the marijuana industry, and they're reshaping it into a sales tax. And the issue to to spread it more broadly and to make it apply to things that are more important or or more more relevant to the industry than than what the tax is on now. And 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 they're really redesigning it. It it is it is not. It's not even, it's not revenue. Well, they're trying to make it revenue neutral. The, the issue is whether they can make it revenue neutral or not. Uh, and they're trying to make it revenue neutral, but it's really a redesign of rates from, from one set of, from, from taxing one thing to taxing a different thing that, that reduces the burden um, on, on a large number of the, of the marijuana retailers. And it's um, I, uh, there's two things about that that's encouraging. One is they're talking about rate redesign. That's really all the debate about sales taxes versus PFD cuts is. It's rate redesign. I don't. Ben's not trying to raise additional revenues. He's trying to redesign the revenues that are coming from PFD cuts 
to sales taxes to a much more equitable approach right that include that includes non-residents it's rate redesign tax rate redesign and and it was encouraging to see the house at least labor and commerce even if they didn't realize what they were what they were doing it's encouraging to see other parts of the legislature with respect to other revenue measures talking about redesign doing it in a more equitable way doing it in a lower impact way and i and i think that you know if we can if we can build on that and say well that's all the pfd versus sales tax debate is it's another it's another revenue redesign debate second thing about that about that hearing that the that the that the column covers is that we had a number of legislators there there was a push by the marijuana industry obviously not only to go revenue neutral but to reduce the revenue take uh, from the industry, you know, citing the burdens of of contributing revenues to the state uh, to reduce the revenue burdens, and we had a number of legislators in that hearing who pushed back on that, and who said, "No, right. it's, it's not. It's not fiscally responsible to be reducing the revenue burden." They wanted to protect the revenue that was coming in uh, because of it, uh, and and that was in the first rounds when it was first talked about going down to three percent, and they finally settled on six percent. Um, but it's, uh, it's an interesting discussion because again, that is just a rework of the current revenue and pulling it from a different source instead of a wholesale source, it was going out as a flat sales tax, which I think makes a lot more sense in that regard. Um, but again, uh, it's almost like at some point we're fighting over pennies when the big dollars are out there on the table and nobody's really paying attention to it. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, there really aren't the, the the marijuana tax really. I don't think it produces one hundred million dollars even to the state. Uh, it, it really is fighting over pennies. But the principles involved, the fact that we're talking about rate redesign, tax rate redesign um, uh, is is important. And the fact that we have legislators pushing back against those who would say, oh, no, we want we want to contribute less revenue. We'll, we'll contribute some. But we want to contribute less revenue. We have legislators pushing back against that. I think those are both good precedents to, to build on. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, our guest, uh, talking about the upcoming uh, uh, slate of discussions for the uh, uh, for the upcoming session. Obviously, you know the PFD is going to be a huge issue. Uh, I think uh, you know, obviously, school the school spending uh, as well. Defined benefits has been kind of quiet lately, but it's still percolating around through the House and all this other kind of st- or uh, through the legislature. Um, and I know that there are some out there who are just waiting for the spring to trap. And of course, the one thing we're really not seeing uh, is that there's been delayed fiscal notes and other things. We're really not figuring out how much it's going to actually cost. But I think that's really the triumvirate that we're looking at, right, is the PFD, the uh, education fund and uh, defined benefits. I think those are going to probably be the big three. Am I am I on target, you think? <laughs> Those will probably be the big three. We're going to have a push for child care. I mean, we're going to have the child care task force that we talked about last week. That's right. going to, you know, is focusing on subsidies. I mean, they don't even hide it. Uh, what what they're what they're trying to do, and so there'll be a focus on subsidies. The uh, university budget is larger than it was last year, so there's going to be a push for that. Uh, there was uh, another hearing about um, uh, the the railroad um, had a hearing uh, in front of a, another house committee and was transportation committee i think and it was talking about you know the need for additional investment uh in the railroad and uh get, getting funds for that so there's going to be and and we're going to have the cook inlet gas situation where 
you know, people are proposing for tax expenditures, additional subsidies for, for cooking the production. We're going to have a number of, of spending uh, proposals being pushed, uh, some sort of hidden like the subsidies for cooking the production, uh, some obvious like the incre in increase in K through 12 spending, but we're going to have a substantial push uh, for spending coming uh, coming this session. And uh, it's it's encouraging. I mean, one of the things that really, to me, was encouraging was to see, although albeit on a small scale, but encouraging to see the members of the House uh, Labor and Commerce Committee pushing back on uh, pushing back on uh, the proposed uh, tax reduction that the industry wanted uh, out of concern for the impact on the state's fiscal situation. So at least it, 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 it indicates that there are some members in some contexts that continue to be concerned about uh, the state's fiscal situation and, and that pushback will be welcome uh, on both sides of the aisle. Welcome when we see uh, various spending proposals come forward uh, this coming, this coming legislature. I don't have time to ask another question. I have another question. I guess we'll do it during the break uh, because I, I have questions. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budget. That's number two. Hit me with number three, uh, which is, uh, which is uh, all about the flailing around of the Department of Revenue. Yeah. At a time that we need the Department of Revenue to be operating on all cylinders, it's I, it, it's missing several, it, it's misfiring on several cylinders. And, and we're going to talk about uh, where that's occurring and and why uh, the Dunleavy administration's revenue uh, department continues to be a huge disappointment. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, the weekly top three. Uh, we will continue. I'll be back with more right after this, the Michael Duke Show Common Sense Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Brad Keithley, uh, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. I guess here was my question. You know, you're talking about all this spending and, you, you know, coming around and, you know, the secret and the out in the open. And and I guess my question is, do you think any of these legislators had looked at the 10-year forecast for where the, you know, what, what it looked? <laughs> I mean, I'm just asking. I mean, with all this stuff and all this discussion about this, you know, however much money we have this year. And I, I don't think it's going to be as good as they think it is, especially with forecasted oil prices and some of these other things and the drop in revenue from the, you know, from the marijuana stuff and everything else. I mean, I don't I don't think it's it's rosy for this year or this coming session alone. But when they start throwing all these ideas around, do you think any of them have looked at the 10 year forecast to see five, six, seven hundred one billion dollar deficits in the future? I mean, it's. No, no, I don't think they have. I mean, I, if they have, they're even being more irresponsible. I mean, we ought to we ought to give them the benefit of ignorance as opposed to malfeasance of of, of if you're proposing spending in the face of of that ten year forecast. No, I, I doubt it. Um, I mean, we got a new ten year forecast coming up. I'm I'm hopeful it will be honest. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a horrible thing to say. I'm hopeful it will be honest. But as we talk about the revenue department in the third segment, I'm going to be a little 
I'm going to be a little skeptical of what the revenue department's up to. Um, and hopefully the 10 year forecast will be honest. If you use current uh, oil forecast price, the current uh, oil futures prices, or if you use the EIA forecast prices, or you use any deck price deck uh, out there and you look at what's going on with, uh, with the future of Alaska production, uh, which is in terms of revenue bearing production uh, going down, continuing to go down uh, at a faster rate than it, than it, than I think it previously was anticipated in the last 10 year, uh, 10 year, 10 year forecast. Uh, if you look at, at the revenue production, re revenue producing barrels going down, you look at spending going up, you know, the, the deficits get wilder and wilder and wilder. And no, I don't think legislators are paying attention to that. I mean, they're paying, they barely pay attention uh, to the latest uh, oil price forecast, uh, as opposed to you know look uh, look ahead at what the what the future holds in terms of productive revenue producing levels, revenue producing production, uh, and in terms of uh, prices. Uh, yeah, I we we just got a lot of we just got a lot of people who think that you know we can just spend and spend and spend. You go back to that op-ed that the the. House minority wrote the Alaska House Coalition wrote that said we've got a surplus. So what's the problem with spending right. more on K through twelve? We've got right. a surplus, right? I mean, you, they're just they're just they're dealing in fantasy land, right? Because it's, it's just, not you know, the worst part is that kind of stuff, especially a BSA increase, is not a one time expenditure. Okay, sure. Let's assume that we have a surplus, like you're saying, this year. What does that mean for next year or the year after that? If you're locking in this as a long term, multiple, you know. Uh, ongoing expense. You know, it's not like this is one-time spending you're talking about. Well, bef and before anybody says, oh, we got a surplus, we don't have a surplus. You have a surplus I, only just... because only because we cut the PFD uh, by something like 75% from statutory levels. We don't have a surplus, folks. Um, uh, and, and, and for them, it's just irresponsible, massively yeah. irresponsible. For the Alaska House Coalition to go out with a with a statement like that. So, you uh, know, when you got but when, but when you got legislators thinking that, God only knows, you know, they're not looking at the ten year plan. They're not, they're not even looking at the one year plan. They're just making stuff up. Uh, Donna asked in the chat room. I think this is a question that's on a lot of people's mind uh, because of the fact that it's an election year. A lot of legislators are up for reelection. The governor's not. Persilly points some sticky fingers at that. Uh, but what PFD does the does Brad think the governor will put in his December budget? The budget is due in uh, uh, 17 December. days. Yeah, yeah, 17 days. So what what do you think? I think he'll go back to POMV 50-50. He, uh, he bounces around. <laughs> He's bounced around all these years. He'll go back to POMV 50-50. But, but POMV 50-50 still presents him a problem because we're in huge deficits even with POMV 50-50. The difference between... POMB 50-50 and, and the statutory PFD averaged over the 10 years is about $500 million a year. So he closes, he gets about $500 million in additional revenue by putting POMV 50-50 in the budget uh, as opposed to the statutory PFD, which is what he did last year. But but I don't know how he closes it. I mean, he's got to come up with something to close it. Last year, he came up with the, you know, the, the fairy dust of conservation credits uh or you know climate change credits or whatever the right heck carbon call credits right and 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 that was that was that was fairy dust so he either's got to come up with sprinkling some fairy dust again over this budget to uh, to close that gap or say we're going to take it out of permanent fund earnings or or do something 
or he's going to have to come up with actual revenues to help close it. But I, I'm guessing POMV 50-50. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, our guest. Uh, we're going to continue. Dada says, uh, most legislators consider your PFB to be, be a revenue source for the government, so they will plan to spend more. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's just, that's where that surplus idea came from. Here we go, jumping back into it. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like, share, subscribe. Let's do it. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. No, no, no. I'm an angel. Just ask my mom. Uh, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. We're welcoming to your, uh, hello, uh, we're, we're welcome back to the uh, program, the final segment of the show, number three, uh, where Brad is going to point out to us the the failings and flailings of the Department of Revenue at a time when we really need solid numbers, good stuff, you know, people who are, you know, sharp penciled people in there. Uh, because the Department of Revenue is such a critical part of uh, funding of the state and everything else, they seem to be kind of uh, bumping around in the dark. Now, maybe it's intentional, maybe it's not. Um, I have my suspicions. Brad, what do you say? Well, Jeff Lanfield, in his uh, in his weekly uh, column, Sunday column, uh, he has a, a a piece of that column is called the loose unit. Who's the loose unit for the week? And the loose unit is, is defined as someone who's sort of gone off the rails uh, over the edge. And this week's loose unit is current revenue commissioner, Adam Crum. Um, and, and Crum earns that, that title uh, in Landfield's column because we're six months down the road or five months down the road. And, uh, and we still don't have a new tax director. Crum fired uh, without announcing it. Uh, just you know, one day she her name wasn't on the on the on the website anymore. Fired uh, previous uh, uh, tax director Colleen Glover, who was a great tax director. She was familiar with the industry, but she recognized when she came over to the state side of the tax division, her job was to enforce the rules uh, and uh, and stood up to the to the companies when they tried to you know play fast and loose with some of the rules on uh, on uh, on tax issues, uh, oil tax issues. And was a was a great uh, tax director. He fired her without ever explaining why he did it, um, and uh, and not even and, announcing it. I mean, nobody. There was no. It was just like you said. The name just disappeared from the website. Nobody knew. Yeah. The only the the, the rumor out out there in the world is that uh, she got crosswise with uh, with some of the oil companies and uh, and they pressured their friend Adam to uh, to get rid of her. And he hasn't announced a replacement. Uh, uh, for her since. Now, some people say, oh, okay, that's what we can do without another gov government bureaucrat. But the problem is, that in the interim, the deputy steps up, and the deputy, in this case, uh, Brandon Spanos, is, is, you know, is, is the textbook definition of milk toast. I mean, Colleen stood up to the industry. Colleen, you know, was, was one who applied the rules as they were. Uh, and, and it's important for the, for the Department of Revenue to do that. I mean, that's a huge amount. Even now, it's a huge amount of the revenue that the state takes is from, is from oil taxes. And, and Colleen stood up for, for, uh, for, for those rules and regulations from the statutes that as the legislature enacted them and regulations as the tax division uh, had promulgated them. Brandon is a lot less, um, 
well, milk toast, I think, is the word. Assertive. He's not assertive. He, he's not standing up for Alaskans. He's more roll over a what on yourself kind of. And you, know. and, and you sort of, and, well, round heels. I think, you know, I talk about Dunleavy having round heels sometimes, which is the term I used to hear, hear from all my Wall Street friends about, you know, bending over backwards to, to agree to stuff. Brandon has a case of round heels in, in, in extremis. And, you know, when industry pushes, Brandon just sort of floats back. He, Colleen leaned into it and, and, and asserted the state's position. Brandon just sort of floats back. And that's who Adam has left, left in charge um, and, and, has, and has not appointed a, a, a tax director to a, a permanent tax director to take the place. This is a time uh, that we need, uh, that we need a, the strongest revenue director we have and, or strongest tax director that we can, that we can get. And the fact that he that Adam hasn't stepped up to appoint another one, uh, you know, forget that he didn't explain why he fired Colleen. The fact that 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 Adam hasn't stepped up to appoint another one is, is problematic. It's not the only problematic thing about Department of Revenue, though. In the previous under the previous Revenue Commissioner uh, Lucretia Mahoney, uh, revenue was straightforward and 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 in with with some of the various revenue proposals, some of the various. Um, uh, uh, revenue forecast that they gave also published a fiscal model that showed the effect of various alternative revenues. For example, like closing the Hillcorp hundred million dollar loophole, uh, increasing or reducing the per barrel credit uh, for uh, for oil companies, uh, uh, various other forms of revenue, uh, the the impact of various other forms of revenue, the amount of revenue they would they would raise, uh, and that was fairly a fairly standard um, uh, step. That when you had a new revenue forecast out, you had an updated revenue model that had all of these additional things that you could look at and say, okay, well, instead of additional PFD cuts, how about we close the Hillcorp glitch, the Hillcorp hundred million dollar loophole, and plug that into the revenue forecast, and plug you know some reduction in the per barrel credits into the revenue forecast. And plug in some of these other revenue steps into the forecast, and you could you could model out. You could use what the state had given you to model out various alternative alternative futures. That stopped under Adam. We don't have a fiscal model out there right now. We have a fiscal model, but we don't have a fiscal model that has these revenue uh, revenue steps that you could take to help uh, close the close the gap. What the fiscal model permits you to do is say, well, what if we raised two hundred and fifty million dollars in additional revenue? What would that do? Well. Yeah, but where does that 250 million come from? So we can look at the impact on Alaska families and on the Alaska economy of that of that additional 250 million. It doesn't. It's not in the current revenue model. So it's it, there. There are additional things in addition to getting rid of one of the of the best deputy commissioners we had. In in, a, in addition to getting rid of uh, Brian Fector, who was the Rev, deputy commissioner under under uh, Lucretia. Uh, in addition to Lucinda, rather, uh, getting getting uh, uh, rid of, of, of Brian, getting rid of Colleen, in addition to those things, Adam Crum's revenue department has done other things that just made it more difficult. Finally, a revenue commissioner ought to be out there saying, look, I'm not advocating or I'm not opposing, but there, here, here are some alternatives to the road we're going. Here are some alternatives to PFD cuts. Here are some alternatives to spread the burden more fairly, to include uh, additional additional revenue sources that that that, that tax non-residents for a portion of, or take have revenue from non-residents for a portion of our 
from for a portion of our of our revenue burden. Here are various ways to think about. It. Lucinda did that. Uh, Lucinda did that in front of the fiscal policy working group in 2021, and she'd done it even before that. Adam, not a word, not a word is coming from a Department of Revenue about these alternatives. So you got a revenue commissioner out there who's who maybe is collecting the revenue that we're entitled to, but you don't know because he filed the ta fired the tax director uh, and hasn't replaced it and, and is using an interim that has round heels. Maybe we're getting all of the revenue that we're entitled to, and but we're certainly not thinking ahead as previous revenue commissioners have done and as you would expect the revenue commissioner to do, as the Department of Revenue to do, thinking ahead of... Uh, uh, of of what you know where we could go to make life better for Alaskans to have revenue measures that have a lower impact on middle income Alaska families and and uh, and are more fair and more distributed across across the across the 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 universe of of potential tax base um, we just don't we don't have that with this with this revenue department and it's bad I mean this is a time we need rev the revenue department to step up it's a time you need OMB to step up the Office of Management and Budget to get a handle on spending and, and, and keep spending under control. But it's also a time, you know, recognizing what happened in 2019. Right. It's also a time that you need a revenue commissioner to step up and be doing good stuff from, from the revenue department. And we don't have that. Right. Well, it would be, you know, it would make sense that a department of revenue would provide options, right? Here's options. Here are all the things that are on the table. We have, you know, you could go this route, you could go this route, you could do this type of tax or this type of revenue, which <clears throat> again, historically they have done in the past, but now it's like there's only one solution. And the solution <laughs> is, I mean, really that's what it is. It, it has become a, it has become a, instead of a, an, an arterial road with all these different turnoffs where you could take different branches, it's like a super highway all headed right towards the PFD. There is no, uh, there is no alternatives being proposed. There are no alternate plans or levers or even proposals and no ways to even look at it, which historically they have done in the past. They've, like you said, they've given you alternative options. Okay. You could pull this lever for revenue or you could pull this lever and here's what it would look like. And they're not providing any of that stuff. So it seems like it's almost a foregone conclusion and we're looking at outcome-based solutions. And this is from an administration. This is from an administration whose governor says, "I want to preserve the PFD. I want to. I want to uphold the statute, and I want to. I want to protect the PFD." And yet, he's got a revenue department that, as you say, is like creating a super highway right at the PFD, just running the PFD over because they're not giving any other alternatives, and they're potentially not even enforcing you know, doing a good job of enforcing the existing revenue laws we've got on the books in terms of in terms of oil taxes uh, and the other existing taxes that we have. Colleen's job wasn't to create wasn't to create additional taxes. That's a policy job. That's the deputy commissioner and the, and the commissioner's job, as well as the governor's job and the legislature's job. Her job was just to enforce the statutes as they are, not to create new statutes, but to enforce the statutes as they are. That's the job of the tax director. And you don't want somebody who has round heels uh, in that job, bending right. over backwards to, you know, the latest, the latest, you know, brain scheme that's come from an industry financial guru about, ooh, maybe we can interpret this statute this way or this, re this regulation this way. We, you don't, this is a time, you don't need that at this point in time. You need somebody right. who's getting out there and forcefully 
uh, enforcing the statutes and the regulations as they are. Uh, wrap up here, Brad. Sixty seconds before we go to go to go to the top of the hour here. Well, we got a legislate. We got a session coming up. We're going to have a lot of pressures in the session. Protecting the PFD and looking at alternative measures ought to be one. Ben Carpenter's done a great job of that during the last legislature. Hopefully, he continues to push that during the current legislature, and hopefully, that he he finds ways to push that to to articulate why he's doing that uh, in the coming election battle as well. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming on board today. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Okay, our two dead ahead. Chris Story is going to be joining us for the second and third segments. We're going to be doing a little Backyard Millionaire segment and then uh, back to the Betterment on Top of the World segment at the end. little recap for us here in the first segment. We'll be back with more of the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Brad Keithley, uh, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like this whole thing is working as intended, right? The governor wants to keep his hands clean, so he brings the, I mean, the henchmen in or whatever into the various departments and then kind of lets them just run amok. Or maybe he's just not paying attention. I mean, I don't know at this point. Does it? I mean, it, maybe it doesn't matter to him. But uh, the idea that somehow... We and you're right about the tax director. I was when I was on the Fairbanks North Star Borough Assembly, <clears throat> we had battles every year with the oil companies uh, because the pipeline goes through the borough, and the borough was a tax collector for that and everything else. And the oil companies had you know whole floors of sharp penciled accountants and lawyers that would tell you, oh no no, this is what the law says. This is how much we have to pay. And every year, we'd have to go back in and say, no, this is what the law says. This is what it is. We worked with the state. And it was millions of dollars. We're talking about millions of dollars of revenue that the oil companies, God bless them, that's that's why they hire those accountants, to try and get this stuff through. But if you don't have somebody at the state level who's pushing back, like you said, and leaning into the law and saying and taking a stand and saying, no, this is what the law says, you're losing millions of dollars of revenue from those uh, situations. Yeah. And sometimes you have the oil company saying, look, you know, Hillcorp is 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 my particular poster child for this going. I need that extra hundred million dollars. I need that hundred million dollars from the Hillcorp loophole. It provides me an incentive and provides me money to go ahead. Uh, and uh, and invest uh, additional amounts on the North Slope. Uh, and I just, you know, I, there are reasons why I need it. And they do that. The old companies will do that certainly also when they come up with new interpretations of existing statutes or existing regs, or you have to apply uh, new sta- the existing statutes and regs to new situations, which is probably as, as frequent as anything else um, in this area. And and they come up and they and they and they and they say you know we need this interpretation because it will help us you know help provide an incentive for additional production, and and that's fine you can make that argument but the place to make that argument is in the legislature, the place to make that argument is we need a change in the statutes in order to provide us with additional incentive, not the place you shouldn't be making that argument and the place the the state shouldn't listen to that argument is in the administration of the current statutes. It's the tax division, the revenue division, the revenue department's uh, uh, obligation to enforce the laws as they are and to look out for the state's interests 
in the statutes as they are. If the industry says we need more money and we need and we need, you know, you need you need to give us more money to provide an incentive, then go change the law. Go to the legislature and explain why you need to change the law. But instead of doing that, they try to do it in the back rooms by saying, well, let's just interpret, we need more money. So let's just interpret this statute or this regulation to do this instead of that. And what Colleen was really good at was just standing there and saying, no, that's not what the, that's not what the regulations say. It's not what the statutes say. If you need more, go to the legislature and, and plead your case about why you need, you need more subsidies or you need more, you know, you need, you need tax relief. But, but as long as the statutes are as they are, as long as the regulations are as, we, as they are, this is what the state's entitled to, and this is what we're going to get. And I, and I think what we're seeing with the Crumb administration, with, with Adam Crumb's administration over the Department of Revenue, is, is they're, they're buying into this concept of, oh, the industry needs more here and industry needs more there. And so we'll just sort of you know, modify how we're, how we're enforcing the law. Uh, to uh, to accommodate that, or we'll just lean over backwards, you know, in new situations. We'll say, ah, well, okay, we'll uh, we'll we'll accept that. We'll accept that interpretation. I uh, it's it, it is at a time when we need revenue most, at a time when every dollar that Adam Crumb's administration, Revenue Department of Revenue, is not chasing after, at a time when every dollar that he's not chasing after is coming out of the PFD, coming out of middle income Alaska families. Through, through additional PFD reductions at a time when we need the revenue department to stand up the hardest, they're standing up the least. And they're, and they're you know, Adam's bending over backwards to his friends in the industry to, to try to curry their favor. You know, I've got, I've got a theory for why that is. It relates to Adam running for governor in two years and wanting the industry to back him. And so let's use, in, in, Adam's, in Adam's vision, let's use my current, my current job to curry favor with the industry so that they back me in two years when when I run for governor, that's my theory for why this is going on. But, but it's going on, and 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 not having a tax director leaving it to the deputy, whose, whose job is 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 not that. The deputy's job is mostly just to run the nuts and bolts of the department. Leaving it to the deputy to make those calls uh, in in the interim uh, is just a is just a recipe for disaster. Okay, Brad. Um... <clears throat> Well, we're about out of time, so I guess I'll uh, I'll leave it there. Um, have you have you put a have you put a recipe? You put a recipe up last time, didn't you? Put up your wine smoothies or something? I did. Yeah, I did put up the wine smoothie, and, I, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna have a little variation on the wine smoothie that I'm working on. I, I need to try it out a few times in order. Yeah, make sure in order to yeah, make sure it works. Don't post up some cod liver oil and cabernet. I mean, definitely not a good combination. So make sure it's a good, uh, make sure it's a good uh, recipe, but yeah, post that recipe up there. People are going to want to share it for sure. Um, okay. As always, it's good to talk with you. Wish your mom well, will you for me? And, uh, I will. and tell her, thank you. Uh, we will, uh, we'll see you next week, maybe in the next, I've only got three weeks left to broadcast, so maybe we'll try and lighten it up here that last couple of weeks a little bit. Maybe, um, maybe, maybe. All right, thanks. <laughs> it's, it's hard. To, it's hard to get me to li- to lighten up, Michael. I, I know. Mean. God damn, you're so you're so tough on everybody. Thanks, Brad, for coming on board. We appreciate you uh, appreciate you being part of it today. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. All right, folks, we are out of time for uh, this segment. Uh, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show continues. <clears throat> We're going to uh, hit the reset button here and get things rolling on. Let's uh, get to it. Uh, hour two is dead ahead. Back with more of The Michael Duke Show.
put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello, my friends. How you doing? How are you? How, how, how is your... It's Tuesday. It's 34 degrees. <laughs> it's like an ice skating rink down here in the South Central area. I hope uh, in your neck of the woods, the weather is a little more, I mean, colder, warmer, whatever. Either make up your mind, either rain or snow, not both, which is what we've been getting here in the uh, in the in the South Central area here for quite a while. And uh, it's uh, it's it's exciting. It's exciting times. Welcome back to the program. It's hour two. We just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets who came on board and gave us the uh, weekly top three, and uh, and it was uh, good stuff, you know, absolutely good stuff. Um, Brad uh, always trying to, to bring us the dose of truth that we were looking for, so we'll uh, continue to uh, come back on that here and rehash a little bit of that for those of you who missed it in the last hour. Of course, as always, you can go to my website at michaeldukeshow.com and you can find links to the podcast on any of the major podcasting platforms, including CastBox, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And uh, you can go through and listen to it and then uh, just subscribe and on your mobile device or whatever, and it will automatically download. Every time we put it up there, it will... Uh, it will uh, it will drop a new episode on your device, so you don't have to wait for it. It's good stuff. Okay, um, I guess a little housekeeping here um, as we move forward. So first and foremost, a reminder that we are still currently running the holiday recipe contest, which is available up on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. We're taking your favorite holiday recipes. Remember those recipes that Grandma said don't ever share with anybody? Share them with us. Grandma, you know, Grandma doesn't care. I mean, yeah, she said it, but, you know, does she really care in the long run? And shouldn't everybody enjoy the, you know, share that joy of that fantastic holiday recipe? Um, post up your favorite recipe for the holidays, family recipe or what. I mean, it could have come off the back box of a, you know, a, a Betty Crocker cookbook. I don't know. Um, but whatever is the, is the recipes that give you joy, that are a tradition and post them up on the Facebook page. It's right there at the top of the page. It's the pin post at the top of the page and, uh, just post your, uh, post your, your recipes in the comment section and then let everybody, um, let everybody vote on them. 
uh, everybody, you know, thumbs up or love it or whatever. And the recipe that gets the biggest, um, the, the biggest, the, um, the most, the mostest, uh, it gets the most, uh, responses is going to, uh, win a bag of beard curler coffee, uh, and a six o'clock club coffee mug. So we got some, what do we got? Some, we got some great recipes up there, I think, right now. Oh, JD2 Chili, um, it also uh, from Reason Magazine, who was a guest last week, um, he posted up his chestnut sausage and apple stuffing. Oh, so good. The bourbon barbecue, cre- uh, barbecue cream cheese. Uh, uh, Bill did the bourbon caramel corn bourbon seems to be a common thread in many of these recipes last year uh there was a bourbon pecan pie that uh sarah vance posted up that won um nanner pudding almond poppy seed bunt cakes pumpkin custard low carb oh so many so many different uh recipes so far um but just go up there and i mean i want to share i want to i want to see what you guys what you guys have up there Feel free to post it up there, and uh, my daughter even posted uh, her eggnog snickerdoodle recipe, which has become a new favorite over the last five or six years. Snickerdoodle cookies made with eggnog? (laughs) Yes, please. Um, And uh, so anyway, go over there to facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show and just take a look at it. Just take a look at it and post up your favorite recipes, and we'll get it done. Um, which reminds me, we will be announcing the winner of this contest on December the 20th, which is my official last day of broadcast for the year. The 20th, Wednesday the 20th, will be the final day of broadcast, and then we will be on vacation all the way through the new year, returning on January the 2nd. So hopefully you uh, you guys are uh, uh, prepared for that uh, because we'll be... Uh, I'll be out there just, I'll be enjoying some downside, downtime. That's what I'll be enjoying. I'll be enjoying some downtime with the family and getting a bit of a recharge because we're going to run right back into it on January the 16th. Is it the 16th or the 17th? It's the first day of session. The 16th of January will be the first day of session. And that's when things are going to get hot and heavy for the next 121 days. 121 days it's going to be going on. So uh, be looking forward to that. And in this last month of the program, we're going to be, I'm going to be breaking it up a little bit. I got, um, I've got some good uh, guests that I've invited that are on topics that I normally don't cover. Um, we've got uh, one on kids learning about how they're can't, you know, they, they're not accurate thinkers anymore. Um, I'm trying to get a guest on who talks about uh, cruises like how cruise trips, cruise cruise boats, how that is some of the best um, vacations that you can take. I've never taken a cruise. I've always been interested in one, but I've never taken one. So I thought we'd bring that guest on to talk about that. They're uh, they're a travel expert. Uh, just you know something fun, something different, something not quite so depressing sometimes <laughs> as. Uh, as uh, as you know, as the political stuff that we just kind of all go on to. Um, so anyway, uh, just uh, keep tuning in for the whole month of December. We're going to try and lighten it up a little bit, and uh, it would be 
it would be something something that would be fun. So we're going to keep uh, keep going that there. Um, all right. What else do we got? What other stories are coming out here? Um, you know, I think Brad kind of, I, I think this next election, this next session is going to be interesting because, um, as Larry Persilli pointed out, uh, it is an election year. So all of the elected officials, all of the legislators are going to be on their toes. Not all of them are up for election, but a big chunk of them are up for uh, a reelection. And so it's going to be. I think it's going to be a very fast session because I don't think they're going to want to get stuck there. So there'll be some concessions made. They might actually, you know, even bend a little bit on the PFD because it's a because it's an election year. Um, and uh, and then it'll depend on how much the governor wants to stick his finger into the pie, because since the governor's not running for reelection, he might be able to do some things that he heretofore uh, has really not done now. The, the governor has really, uh, Brad said, sort of softened his stance on spending cuts. Um, I think sort of soften was a very, I think he has become a limp noodle on actual cuts. I think he has stepped back from that. And, uh, you know, I always kind of get the picture of rolling over and you know, the puppy that rolls over and wets on itself kind of thing. Um, I, I just don't know if he's going to do anything spectacular with that, uh, maybe some vetoes or whatever. But he he is in an interesting position because it will be an election year. Politicians are not going to want to do anything too controversial if they're up for reelection. But the governor isn't, so he has some power here. And it'll be interesting to see how the power structure in the legislature continues after this coming session, um, especially if we get some more changes like – uh, ben Carpenter trying to get into the Senate. If he makes it into the Senate, that could change the makeup there. Uh, there, there could be some real shifts, and uh, I'm going to be interested to see what that looks like. Um, <laughs> what that looks like in the long run. Um, but you got a lot of legislators who are going to be up for re-election, and it will be an interesting. It'll be an interesting year. Let's put it that way. May you live in interesting times is not just a fortune cookie. It is the truth right now. We definitely are living in interesting uh, times, for sure. Some of the news that's going on around the state. Um, what was the big one? Oh, uh, I did see this. The EPA has given partial approval to the state plan for air quality in the interior. Uh, remember that really oppressive plan that the EPA had been pushing for, where they wanted everybody in the interior to use ultra low sulfur diesel for their heating for their fuel oil, which is you know ultra low sulfur diesel is it's a premium over regular you know number two or number one heating oil. It's I mean it's expensive stuff comparatively, and um, the federal regulators have now dropped that requirement, accepting the state's argument uh, that such a mandate would not be cost effective as a way to address the problem. Uh, this Yarath Rosen over at the Alaska Beacon has this uh, story up talking about it and gets into some of the details. Um, they still want um, they still want to uh, talk with the state about they only accepted about half the plan. And this has been, man, I've been fighting this battle. I mean, I'm not fighting it now personally, but I fought this battle for years when I lived in Fairbanks. Um, I was one of the petition sponsors for the air quality petition 
for several years. Tammy Wilson and I worked on it very hard and continued to, you know, keep the burrow out of some of that stuff. It is just, it's exhausting. The battles that you continue to fight. And then every time you would hit something, the EPA would, you know, it used to be PM10, then it was PM3.5, and then it was PM2.5, and now it's PM, I don't know, 2 or whatever it is. They kept changing the the, the goalposts. Every time you'd hit something, they'd want you to do even more of it. Um, basically never admitting that the fact that, that, that Fairbanks has its own environmental issues because of the mountains surrounding the area and the atmospheric conversions and all that kind of stuff, they never really – they never really wanted to give you a break. And I was surprised because down here in the Matsu, they also are having, they're brushing up against that non-attainment problem down here in the Matsu because of the silt and everything else. And that could be a battle that we could see down here. Fairbanks doesn't, is not able to overcome this and ends up having to succumb to the EPA's heavy handedness. Down here in the Matsu, we could see the same thing, which is just mind blowing uh, in a place like Alaska to see all this kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, the story is up right now at the Alaska Beacon if you want to go out and check it out. But that's good news for now. We'll see what happens here uh, in the future. But um, it's going to be it's going to be uh, it's still an ongoing problem. The federal agency has spent over forty two million dollars in grants in Fairbanks over the last couple decades. Forty two million dollars to try and fix this problem. I just don't know if it's fixable unless you just move everybody out of Fairbanks. I mean, really. And even then, with I mean, who knows? Who knows? All right. Uh, we're coming up on it. Chris Story is going to be joining us. We're going to do a segment, a Backyard Millionaire segment. The topic today for the Backyard Millionaire segment is going to be the Tree of Wealth. Followed by his Betterment segment. The ABCs of Effective Communication. Chris Story, up next. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Uh, Chris's story is going to be joining us here in a minute. Let me get this squared away and see what I can come up with here. Uh, okay. See if we can get Chris on the telephone here. Let me go through the, uh, uh, we did a Mediterranean cruise, um, says Tawny. It was our first cruise. There was no relaxing. I learned you need a sea day to actually relax. I mean, that's the thing. I would like to just be on the ocean for several days, and then you could stop at a port and go, 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 and then you could get back on the boat. That's, I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of what I would like. Anyway, we're going to bring this expert on board to talk about it. I'm trying to trying to get this uh, expert on board. I think it would be fun. Um, um, it's a uh, 
it would be it would be enjoying. I'm just I'm just trying to find something different. Just uh, just trying to find something different. Um, let's see. I'm the, uh, did a cruise like watching paint dry. Destination wedding cruise for my son. Well, I mean, but sometimes I just want to relax. You know, I just want to sit on a deck or, uh, you know, sit in a chair in the sun and just enjoy myself. Um, Tonic said she's enjoyed cruises but had not gone since COVID. Um, uh, mine has bourbon, says Chini. I don't know what her recipe is. I got to go look to see what her recipe is. Gail says, yes, please. Sounds like something my 95-year-old dad would love. I don't know what that's in response to, Gail. I apologize. That was 10 minutes ago, so I'm not sure what I was talking about at that point. Um, vacations, an all-expense trip to the Radio Ranch. Hey, I get that every day. It's all, that's all good. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, let me uh, Let me get Chris on board. Let me get Chris on the... Let me get Chris on the on the thing here. Make sure that he is uh, good to go. See if we can get him on board. Look at that. Good morning, Michael. Am I on the thing here? You are on the thing here, sir. That that's a technical term. Speaking. Yeah, it's a technical term. The thing. You're on the thing. Uh, uh, radio you, jogging. Yeah. Yeah. How how you doing, my friend? How's uh, how's life? Uh, how's life treating you? You I can't dirty so and so. What? Well, that, that image of a family standing in front of the elevator doors on a cruise ship, and suddenly blood starts streaming down the doors. That poor uh, service repairman was stuck and then crushed in the elevator, and then just blood coated the outside of the doors of that elevator while that family stood there waiting. And it was like something out of a Stephen King movie. And uh, he was just like his whole body was just severed in half by the elevators in the shaft. And I just can't help but think about that, those four people on that cruise, Michael. That's something you might want to bring up to that expert. How often does that happen? I mean, is this an actual? Wait a second. Is this the? Is this something that actually happened? Or it sounded like an episode of yes. The Walking Dead. Oh, okay. Well, no, I mean, people get happened. look. I mean, people get killed in various ways all the time that I'm sure families probably witness. Uh, so I don't know yeah. as how. But then, but then think about like every cruise you hear about has got norovirus going around. Oh my god! Like, I thought this oh, was supposed man. to. I thought Whoa. this was supposed to be a positivity segment. What is the matter with you, Story? Well, I, you... No, we haven't got there yet. We're still oh. just talking on facebook okay i see i thought we I were see. in the trust tree i thought i could i thought i could expose my soft underbelly to you and yeah, yet, yeah. no you oh gee. Uh, have you ever been on a cruise no, never will be no never will be. do you not like boats no, the Chris? Aforementioned things. do you I not love boats i don't want to be on somebody else's boat stuck with a thousand people uh lane lovers that don't know anything and you're i mean talk about the largest soft target in the world are you kidding me mm -mm. can i bring my guns on board no not going. Wow. I did not see that coming. I just did not see that coming that you are anti. I'd like to take a cruise once in my life. I think it would be, I mean, you know, oh, let's not forget murder, she wrote, said Brian. All of those murders on the cruise boat. Okay. I mean, death on the Nile. You guys have got me, I guess. No more cruise boats. We can't do cruise boats anymore because somebody <laughs> wrote a fictitious story about a cruise boat and it's all... it. You guys. No, know. you go right ahead. Go enjoy yourself. I'm just, just don't invite me. All right, Chris Story. Uh, we're jumping into it, the Backyard Millionaire segment. Let's get it on. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, 
Free Thinking Radio. Like, share, subscribe. Here we go. So Mr. Story just told me that he never, ever, ever is going to take a cruise because people might die in an elevator in a horrific way. There's a possibility it could happen. That's true. It's it's exactly what you said. And then you said they're just Petri dishes of norovirus and anthrax and and Ebola. So apparently he's got a little bit of a fear of uh, doing that stuff. Chris Story joins us. Uh, I love homeralaska.com is where you'll find all the stuff that's related to Chris. Um, his books, The Backyard Millionaire, Born to Live, the Jacob Mann series, um, and of course, all of his on top of the world radio stuff. Uh, he normally joins us for the final segment of the Tuesday show to bring us a little bit of a betterment segment, a little bit of a positive mental attitude segment with the bet with the on top of the world stuff. Uh, but today, I asked him to come on early uh, to share with us uh, some Backyard Millionaire stuff. Now, if you haven't read the book, The Backyard Millionaire, it's available at ilovehomeralaska.com. Also available on Audible, read by some guy uh, who didn't do uh, uh, that bad a job. Um, but it's a great story. It's an anecdotal story, very much in the vein of Augmandino, uh, where instead of talking specifically about positive mental attitude in life, he's talking about how to become a backyard millionaire in your own backyard. There's a subheading to that, and I can't remember what the subheading is, but it's uh, it's good stuff. Today, Chris is going to talk with us about the backyard millionaire, and he's going to discuss with us the tree of wealth. Uh, good morning, sir. How are you? How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. That's, that's the uh, yeah, subtitle. That's man. the subtitle. That's right. That's right. So uh, I'm doing good, but I feel like I need to defend myself just real <laughs> quick here on the cruise thing. Uh, because, yes, there was a time when a family, imagine a, a father and mother and two, uh, two and a half children standing in front of an elevator waiting to go up to the Lido deck or somewhere else up above. And, and suddenly blood starts pouring down the outside of the elevator walls this is a true story it really happened and a poor service deck guy was cut in half and so i give you that as one example of being trapped on a floating soft target there's a myriad of other things to include a thousand people uh simultaneously vomiting you know these kinds of things run through my mind michael so to say that i'm anti-cruise is is a defamation of my character i'm just simply anti sharing one giant boat with a thousand strangers so what you're saying is you're not always positive because you know i think people have the impression i'm positive i'm not going on a cruise yeah i I think people always have the impression that chris story is always looks for the positive side and the silver lining and is always the glass half full guy unless that glass happens to be on a cruise ship in which case he's talking about the ebola that must be in the water and the people that are going to be sawed in half in the elevators and uh, the dolphins are going to eat you and everything else uh, I could see that. Okay. All right. Fine. It's, yeah. it's, it's good. All right. Um, let's, um, let's dive into it. Tell me about the tree of wealth. There's an expression you quoted Confucius earlier. I'll quote um, a Chinese proverb, which is to say, 
when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago when's the next best time today and that's my message for anybody that's thinking about creating a wealth plan for themselves today's the day to plant the tree and it can start with just a few simple steps and i'll outline them and just reminding you that the backyard millionaire for home formula can work today just like it could have worked 20 years ago just like it will work 20 years from today it's just a matter of the market it will shift i was just going over a, a market evaluation yesterday and we usually will look at a 10-year perspective and say okay here's where we were 10 years ago five years ago two years ago here's where we are today with the value they've more than doubled over the last 10 years on on average so yeah it can work today even though we have record high pricing and we are enjoying record high interest rates all of these things are true working a bit against you yes however they've always been high oh, it's always felt too high either the price was always is always felt too high or the interest rate it's just the nature of it you still can plant your tree today following these simple steps you can amass a either a portfolio of future wealth or passive income today whatever your goal is ultimately with becoming a backyard millionaire or just having passive income or leaving a legacy for your family you could start today even though 20 years ago would have been great but today's the next best day to start yeah because hindsight is so good i mean i keep thinking to myself if only when i was terry and i first got married and I was 20 years old, and if I had only put away $100 a month, which doesn't sound like much now, but at the time, that would have been a struggle. But if I'd only put away 100 bucks a month into savings, today I would have, I don't know, a gazillion dollars, whatever it is. I mean, if, if only, if only I could go back and look. Hindsight is perfect, but that doesn't mean that you can't start right now. Exactly. In the past, we'll predict the future. We know that the market is going to to ebb and flow. It's going to change. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. But what's always going to be true is that food and shelter are the two things you can provide that are never going to be gone. I mean, you could invest in technology. You could invest in a lot of different things in businesses that will, will come and go. But those two things, food and shelter, aren't going anywhere ever as long as there's people. And so the first step to to build your your four home formula would be to assemble your tribe i always start with the same thing it's always about surrounding yourself with people that know more than you for example this morning i was already communicating with my mortgage broker asking questions of my mortgage broker already this morning and she's been answering and we've been communicating so a mortgage broker has to be somebody that you know, like, and trust, usually recommended, I suggest, by the first person that should, should be in your tribe, which is a realtor that you know, like, and trust, and then get from your realtor who they like to work with in the mortgage world and, and interview those people. Talk to them. How do they best communicate? And what kind of... It, it's not about the interest rate. You don't pick your mortgage broker based on the interest rate because the face value of that interest rate advertised is going to come with a lot of caveats that they don't tell you until the last possible minute and then you realize oh i'm working with this stranger out of sheboygan because i thought i was getting a better rate they don't even know my area or my market or the players within it so mortgage broker is important having a real estate mentor somebody that's a little further ahead on the ladder than you they don't have to be at the top of the ladder but just a little bit ahead of you have somebody that can mentor you know like and trust your insurance agent i, I recommend working local even if it's a national company work with the local agent and if you can find somebody that's a broker 
And is it necessarily representative of just one company? Maybe so much the better. Inspectors, talk to them, interview them, and make sure you get somebody that you you think is going to be uh, communicative with you. Because it isn't just about that report. It's also about how they communicate with you. And then having a, a series of contractors from inside, outside, you know, dirt, everybody. And you have a list of contractors that know you and will pick up the phone when you call. And last on your tribe should be a hard money lender. Somebody that can loan money that it's outside of a bank, it's their own money, and they're loaning it, and it's, it's going to be a higher interest rate, but it's somebody you can pick up the phone and call uh, when you need uh, a fistful of money, even if it's just temporarily. But that's the first step towards your four-home formula would be having your own tribe. So create the tribe is the first step. That's why I was, again, I was going to break it down to first step. So first, obviously, first, yeah, (laughs) Avengers assemble. So the first choice is to make the decision that you want to start to plant your tree. Uh, Make that decision and and take it in baby steps. Maybe you've only got $5,000 in the bank and you, excuse me, want to take that first step. So make that decision, then reach out to a realtor first that you know, that you trust, then leverage that to find out who would be the good broker, the insurance agent, you know, contractors, you know, so create that, that team that you need to do all the things that you would need to do as a property owner, landlord, whatever. Right. Oh, that's right. Are you politically correcting me? Is is tribe no longer Tribe is tribe is fine. I mean, tribalism is eighteen now. Tribalism is real. Yeah, no. I mean, I (laughs) I got no problem with it. Uh, I was just trying to put it in terms that maybe everybody could understand because they thought the tribe. I'll go with your team. All right, very good. I'll go with I'll go with your team. But that's absolutely right. You you are correct in preempting this strategy with that decision. I agree with you one hundred percent. Because once you've made the decision, then it makes this relationship process a lot easier. So it's not, you're not relying on assembling your team or tribe to convince you this is a good thing to do. You've already decided. So that's an excellent point to preempt this formula with that decision. So first is assemble your tribe. And then secondly, get pre-qualified for an investment loan. So maybe you've been through the process to acquire the home you now own, but this is different. We're talking about an investment loan that is a different breed of cat, if you will. It's a different type of loan, different requirements, different uh, terminology. So get pre-qualified for it. Even if you feel you're a year or two away from saving for the down payment or whatever it is you're going to be doing here, still get pre-qualified. Do that very important credit check. If it, Maybe it's been a while. Get that because it could be an error you need to correct or some time in, in swinging yourself from 620 to 680 or whatever is going to be the minimum requirement. See, the better your credit, the better interest rates you're afforded. So getting that game in order is important. Uh, talking to your broker, mortgage broker about debt to income. You know, what do you need to pay off? Don't go and just close accounts and charge cards and things right now until you've been through the process of getting pre-qualified because your mortgage broker may say, hold on. That aged credit you've got there on that old Sears and Robot card, that's good. Don't close it down. Pay it down. Don't close it. You know, follow their advice and learn what types of loan programs are available in this pre-qualification process for investors. You may see today's interest rate as, as you know, 7.325 or something, but does that also apply to non-owner occupied loans? Probably not. It's going to be higher. So you need to know that. And then find out what the down payment's going to be. 
and something that you can work towards. And it's going to be much higher than uh, purchasing your own primary residence, which is why I like to consider maybe if you're willing to live like a vagabond for a few years, you can move in, acquire a home, two years later, buy another home as a primary residence and move into it, leaving like a slug trail in your path for rentals as you go, if you're willing to move. If you're not willing to move, then it's just a matter of saying, okay, what's my down payment requirement gonna be? Where's it coming from? How long is it gonna take me to assemble it? And then go from there. So this is how you plant your tree, your tree of wealth and make it through. And some of us, yes. I mean, I've known this, I've known your, your, I've known this strategy for a while. Some of us have just not pulled the trigger yet, Chris, uh, because it's scary because you're like, I've only got so much money. I've only got so much time. I just, uh, I want to do it, but it's, but every year we put it off as a year that we're not earning or acquiring uh, equity or doing anything else. What would you say to people who are like, they're baked in a squat. They're like, I mean, people like me who are like, I understand it. I know it. I know it'll work, but I got a million things going on and I don't want to get let go of the money that I have in the bank. What, you know, what do you, what do you say to them? Well, I would say, uh, let's keep going down the, the tree here. Let's keep continuing on the formula because by the time we're done with this, I think you'll, you'll have your answer. And that's so we're, first of all, we're just assembling a tribe that costs you nothing, a little bit of time, but costs you no money. Uh, getting pre-qualified costs you nothing, absolutely nothing out of pocket. So you could be you could be Donald Trump circa 1990 and four billion dollars in debt and still apply this formula. You could be somebody with zero in the bank and you don't even know what your credit is, and you could still so far apply this formula and it's cost you nothing. So step three would be the all-important learn your market, not the market not the global market, not the statewide or countywide or borough-wide market, but your market. So what is your market gonna look like? Where's it gonna be? I've targeted my community, my town, in the city limits, period. If it's outside the city limits, it's not for me. And that's okay, because there's plenty of people that like to invest outside of the city limits in the rural areas and so forth. That's just not for me. So I have niched down. And as they say, the riches are in the niches. Learn your market such as you end up with a fingertip feel for your market when you see a property come on the market you'll go oh that i know yeah that's that's hitting the nail on the head and then boom the next day it's pended the you know next month it's closed get a fingertip feel again that costs you nothing you'll get on a subscription list with your realtor of choice that all the new listings are going to feed to you that are in your market it's good to know the market, but I mean, I'm seeing to drill down on your market because it's, that's where you want to focus your neighborhood. It could be just one neighborhood, right? Like you literally could just in your own backyard, just focus on your neighborhood. That's it. Now that's narrow, but you can get as narrow or wide as you want. So having that sort of instant fingertip feel and a sense of value, a sense of desirability to the marketplace, a sense of rental potential and future value. Where do you think it's gonna be in five, 10 years? Again, you come back to your tribe, ask your realtor, hey, what did this last sell for? What do you think it's gonna, what do you think it's worth today? And what do you think we could rent for? I answer that question weekly. There's somebody, if not five somebodies that will call me every single week and we'll talk about what something might rent for. And I, we don't charge for that. That's right. information that if, if you're, if I am on your, your team and tribe, man, you call me whenever you want to, text whenever you want to. Right. And then fourth and final, and this should put your mind at ease if you haven't done anything. You've not done anything so far, but you're following along. The fourth and final step will make you feel fantastic. And it's called the 
110.3.1 rule. This comes from Dolph DeRue. So you look at 100 properties. That's you learning your market. Look at 100. And I'm saying look digitally and drive by or at least be familiar with 100 properties. Maybe get a closer look at 10 such as you get leases, you get disclosures, you get a look inside, you're for sure driving by. Make offers on three and acquire one. That could take you a year or it could take you five years. I don't care. You're planting a tree. So you, you might spend the first three years preparing the soil. Wow, that tree is going to be really healthy by the time you plant it and then water it and care for it and tend for it. So this is, we're not in a hurry. Okay. 100, 10, Three, one. There is no hurry. I think when we hurry, we make a mistake. The idea is to buy, hold, and repeat four times. I don't care how long it takes you, as long as you start today and start assembling your tribe and then leverage your way to the top from there. Chris Story, the man from Homer. We're talking about the backyard millionaire planting your tree of wealth. Thank you, my friend, for that. He's going to stick with us into the next segment. We're going to do a little bit of positivity on top of the world. We're going to be right back with more Chris Story right after this, The Michael Duke Show. What is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. The riches are in the niches, he says. See, because the way I heard it was that I heard snitches get stitches. So that was a whole different deal. But apparently <laughs> that's the thing. No, I mean, I think that's the thing, Chris. I've, <clears throat> you know, I've been following your work. Obviously, I've read your book, obviously, and and uh, the buy and hold method. And I mean, I bought that book and read through that. And But it just comes to a point to where, you know, there's so many things going on. For me personally, it's like my life is pretty full. Um, and I'm just like, I want to do that, but I know it's going to be a commitment and I'm, I have money in the bank, but I'm afraid, you know, it's just one of those things where I kind of, I'm baked in a squat and I want to jump to the next part of it. Um, I guess I just got to commit. I guess I just got to make that decision. That's, that's my, that's my conundrum right now. And you have me in your corner. So you could say, you could text me, don't please not during the show, Michael, but after the show, you could text me and say, Hey, Chris, um, Hook me up with a realtor in my backyard and I'll give you probably two, probably three people off the top of my head and say, hey, go talk to these three and talk to them. And then from there, they'll connect you with the mortgage broker. And from there, you'll get pre-qualified. From there, you'll start learning your market, defining what is your market. Even if you just watch it for the next 12 months and really understand, you might go, yeah, God, you know what I could have bought that for 12 months ago? <clears throat> okay, what's it going to be worth in 12 more months or 24 or 48 months? What's going to be worth 10 years from now? So it's, it's never too late, but it starts with just a single text or a call, and then the tribe starts to come together. And then you start getting momentum, and right. then inertia takes over. And then suddenly it's a game. And it is like I love looking at the market. I don't, it's not work. It's not something that's, it's a little bit like somebody who's maybe a cruise obsessed, like you apparently are. Right. And they're just following the cruise industry or they're following football or sports betting, whatever it is. And, and it becomes a passion. It, it, in something that like once you get that fingertip feel then it's not work anymore it's actually just an enjoyable pastime hobby dare i say um for me it's a profession but it could still just be a side hustle a hobby for somebody that's got like you a thousand irons in the fire well, that's good. Uh, I mean, I think this is something that I needed to hear today because I'm I'm looking at next year and I'm thinking about what I want to do and what my old you know the ultimate goals are and direction I want to take my life and you know I'm I'm always trying to reassess, 
And uh, this has been in my back pocket for a while, and I've been thinking about it. Well, I've been thinking about it for over a year since I read The Backyard Millionaire. And uh, so it's something it's something I've been considering and trying to figure out, you know, how to get how to get a, get up off of my failure to launch problem. So somebody just told me yesterday that their high school student told them that a peer of theirs, they're, they're doing book reports or they're freshmen, they're doing book reports. And somebody in one of their classmates did a book report on the backyard millionaire that made my day. Oh man, I bet that was amazing. That's that is awesome. When you're when you get a book report, it's absolutely uh it's absolutely unless they good. decimated me. Of course I didn't I didn't learn the tenor of that report, but it was like <laughs> this guy's an idiot. Here's why. This but was I'm gonna say uh, it was positive. It's a horrible read. It's just forget about it. It's amazing. It's, <laughs> right. it's, it's, all, it's all good this stuff. Guy's illiterate. Yeah. Um <clears throat> and I think that that uh I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of good information on there, and 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 again, you're right. The only thing, all it takes is four, right? Four properties, and you're a millionaire. I mean, yep. depending on where you're at, it could be yep. three properties, and you're a millionaire at that point. Yeah, and and the thing that you know, so it started out um, seven, well, sixteen, almost seventeen years ago as a slogan. Hey, you can make a million bucks in your own backyard. The reality is that I looked around one day, and I was looking at going, man, you know, four of these homes, and just if you just own four homes in this neighborhood. You have a million dollar net worth. And so that's when, you know, like I say, on my, my initial radio program, I started talking about that. And it just built in my mind to a point where, oh, this is a this is a formula. It is a formula that can work for anybody. And yes, the values have doubled over the last number of years that I've been saying this. So it really could be too. But it's more about who you become as an investor as you go versus just the net worth. And then it's also about the cash flow and cash flow from four homes is uh, far greater than two homes right and actually i just interviewed robert g allen not very long ago found on my uh podcast by the way i love homeralaska.com forward slash bad guest and robert g allen said you know chris i suggest people um buy two homes a year for 10 years and then they can kind of put it in cruise control it's like well that's that's okay <laughs> yeah that's wonderful that's great but that's 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 for a handful of people I have a goal of, of helping achieve in the next 24 months, 2,000 people achieving their dream of becoming backyard millionaires. Even if it's just that first home, that first rental property, that's okay as long as you're on the path. So I'm talking to uh, a majority of people, whereas he's talking to, um, you know, the Brad Keithleys, if you will, that can buy two homes. <laughs> that, that kind of mentality. Sure, you know sure, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I definitely see it. Uh, although, I mean, with your focus on just being in the Homer City limits, that's only two homes a year, right? <laughs> that's only two homes will make your right. backyard millionaire if you're in Homer, for sure. All right, well, let's um, – Let's uh, let's proceed ahead. We're 30 seconds out here. We're about to jump back into it with our positivity segment, our on top of the world segment uh, today. Uh, his topic is going to be the ABCs of communication uh, for positivity's sake. Uh, Chris Story is our guest. You can find him again at ilovehomeralaska.com. Just go out there and find all his stuff there and uh, make it so. Chris Story, let's get to it. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Okay, we're back. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense 
Radio. Chris Story is our guest, the man from Homer. His website is ilovehomeralaska.com, where you'll find his real estate stuff and all of his uh, podcasts and his books, his blogs, everything else. He's got everything laid out there. Just go over there and check it. Check it out. Check it out. Uh, Today he comes on board, just finished up with a a Backyard Millionaire segment on how to get started as a property owner. Now we're moving over to the PMA segment, the Top of the World segment, where we're going to talk about the ABCs of communication. Mr. Story, the ABCs of communication. Hit me with it. Good morning again, Michael. And I'm intending to talk about effective communication. Everybody communicates. It's what I call the, well, I don't call it this, but it's effectively the curse of knowledge because everybody can talk. We think we're communicating, but are you communicating effectively? And as a broadcaster, you know the difference. You know that there is there is communication and then there's effective communication. And so think back to Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people. He didn't say seven habits of people, it's highly effective people. And that's kind of what I wanted to focus on here is that there's there's got to be just a, a few ways that we could improve upon our communication and become more effective, especially in this incredibly fast-paced digital ever-connected world where we can post our, our thoughts instantaneously, even if we regret it. A moment later, it's, it's already out there. It's put into the world. And so we better be as effective as possible. So the ABCs of effective communication start with always be curious asking useful questions. And I love quoting this because I'm no big Diane Sawyer fan, but I thought it was interesting that she said the most relevant thing that helped her become successful was that she wakes up every day curious. Stephen Covey said in his great book, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And I think that if you begin communicating that way, you cannot help but being effective because you're going to be an active listener. You're going to be curious about what somebody's origin story where did they come from how did they come to this opinion oh you love this particular political candidate you love this particular uh sociology or socialism interesting tell me more about that be curious and ask useful questions and you'll become incredibly effective in your communication style so always be curious um, which is, uh, you know, I, I think that's a good, I have prided myself in always being curious about things, you know, kind of, <clears throat> uh, you know, trying to be a Renaissance man to know a little bit about everything, uh, kind of thing, never being an expert in, in all of those things, maybe just being an expert in one or two things, but always being curious about, well, lots of stuff because that gives you a well-rounded life. Which is how you can become an effective broadcaster for 25 or whatever years you've been doing this because you've never met a stranger because you're curious and interviewing takes curiosity and you do that well the second is to always be careful with your words think before you speak think before you post really think it through twice do i really know what i'm about to say is what i'm about to say going to improve upon the silence as joe stump would ask and uh, one of my great real estate mentors, Dick Seinhorst, said, never pass up an opportunity to keep your mouth shut. It's an opportunity to think about something and really be, be careful with your words. It's one of the four agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz is to be, you know, be careful with your word because your word, not just your bond, but your words matter. And how you effectively communicate is to be considerate and careful with the words that you use, both online and in life. 
the online part is hard. I mean, we we see that every day here in the chat room where being online uh, seems to give some people license to say things that they would never say to somebody to their face, right? I mean, that's the that's mm-hmm. the the world of social media that we live in today. That people just feel emboldened to basically say things that they would never say to somebody's face because they'd probably end up at the dentist. You know what I mean? But it's it's <laughs> right. it's a good you know it's a it's a good uh, thing. So always be curious and always be careful. And careful and always be complimentary and. I add to that, though, with sincerity, because we we can spot a phony like that. We know when it's false praise. We know what that's like. So to be complimentary means that you are looking for something and going to effectively and sincerely communicate that compliment. Because, again, people know the difference, but it allows you to better hear, I think, when you're looking for something to be complimentary about. You can't help but listen a little more, deeper, a little more effectively on the listening side, which makes you all that much more of an effective communicator. And then the lastly, as we move down our list, Michael, of the ABCs of effective communication is to always be considerate. And this doesn't mean that you stifle what you've got to say or who you are as a person. Well, I'm going to tamp down who I am in, in, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. It's not about that as much as it is about employing empathy, understanding somebody else before you begin to judge them. You might ultimately judge them, but understand them first and employ empathy. You know, tough things need to be said sometimes, but using empathy will guide you through these situations if you can be empathetic i hate to use a cliche but walking a mile in their shoes at least understanding maybe they didn't even have shoes growing up where is their where is this coming from use empathy and be considerate as you as you communicate again not to say that you should stifle how you feel or you know sort of subordinate your own personhood to that person because i don't want to offend them it's not about that it's not about being politically correct but truly understanding others through consideration and empathy before you speak, or at least you letting it inform how you're going to speak and communicate with them can make a big difference. And I, I love, you know, as we get together in the holidays, ask questions. So if you employ these with your family, it maybe drives you nuts or friends or coworkers that are driving you nuts. Get curious. Do you know about their background? Do you know how or where they grew up, their family? Be careful with your words. Think before you speak, be complimentary, but use sincerity, and then be on the lookout for consideration. How can you be considerate by employing empathy, which means, again, coming back to understanding the other person. Once she, Mother Teresa said it's hard to hate up close. When you know somebody's background or their origin story and what they fought through to get to where they are, it might help explain the attitude of the chip on their shoulder to a point where you could at least be empathetic and considerate to them while you're talking because you understand and you're informed as to where they came from. Could have been horrible, hell-like conditions they came through or whatever. Right. But, but understanding and being considerate will help you and them. All right. So always be curious, always be careful, always be cons- complimentary. Uh, complimentary and always be considerate. With sincerity. Yeah, so that's right. Always exactly. be considerate. So again, the ABCs of communication, it doesn't cost anything to make people feel good. You know what I mean? And is I, I find that in my daily interactions, if I'm whether I'm talking to a store clerk or somebody else, I always try and, you know, it, it makes me feel good to make them feel good. You know, so to, to be kind and to 
Um, and to be genuinely interested in people, I think is, um, it, it's a, it's a, it's not a trick of the trade, but it's, it's something that is beneficial to everybody involved. It's mutually beneficial, I guess is what I should say there. So, um, absolutely. Speaking of communication, let me communicate this final thought. I'm going to be at the Nutcracker Fair in Homer at the high school this Saturday and Sunday selling my books and coins and T-shirts. Would love to see you there, Michael. You, you're going to be at Homer this weekend? Oh, yeah. I'll just be driving right down for that. That'll be fun. Pop on down, buddy. Yeah. All right. Well, my friend, as always, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for the two times, the two segments today. We'll have to do this more often, uh, especially here in December. I think maybe next week we'll take the second step in planting our tree. Chris Story, the man from Homer. Thank you, my friend. Hold the line for a second. Folks, we're out of time. Tomorrow, Mike Shower says he's going to be with us, says he's not flying anywhere. And then we'll have something else. I'm working on some other stuff, some lighter side stuff. Uh, Again, trying to lighten it up a little bit for December. All right, my friends, be kind, love one another, live well. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, Mr. Story, did I miss, did we miss anything there? Did we catch the whole thing? Did we get everything that you needed out there? And more. And more. And he's like, I'm exhausted. And more. It was cruise phobic. I have this nothing. is the whole cruise phobic thing. You exposed me. Yeah, I exposed you okay. as a cru- cruisophobe. Uh now would you be would you be as cruisophobic if you uh were able to rent a private charter yacht and go do something oh, in the Caribbean no. or something? Oh, well, that's fine. Absolutely. No, that's totally different. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, no, that would be wonderful. Just the idea of just getting on a, a cruise ship with a thousand people to use Priceline and just like, uh, just I mean, no, is there a no, go, no go point? I mean, is it like 200 people's okay, but a thousand people's too much? Or I mean, what, what, you know, let me tell you, here's how I'll go on a cruise. Dennis Prager has been announcing recently. He's doing a cruise to Alaska and, you know, 250 lucky folk or whomever, whatever the ticket number is, are going to be able to join him on that cruise. If I was asked, to do that, I I would go. I remember on Fraser one time he went on a uh, cruise to Alaska from Seattle, and he referred to it as the floating gong show because there was a bunch of uh, subpar celebrities he was going to be paired with on the, that cruise. But eh, I would do that. I'll, I'll say that if I got two hundred fifty people, two hundred fifty backyard millionaires, or or positive optimists, I would do that as long as I was offered a, a place on the stage, Michael. You have to understand the depth of narcissism <laughs> oh. is, you know, probably 200 fathoms deep here. So if it was a thousand people and you were offered a place on the stage and you could affect a thousand lives, you'd still be like, thanks, but no thanks. No, no, I would do that. Too. You have to understand that stage just got bigger. <laughs> I have to understand the power of my narcissism is right there. It's amazing yeah. stuff. It's yeah. yeah, I don't know math real well, but I think there's something, uh, there's probably a formula that is exponential. The yeah. number of, you know, the stage gets larger with the number of people. Right. Now, that's uh, just being honest with you, Mike. At least I'm honest about it. No, no. I, like I said, I've never taken a cruise. I've always been interested in one, just in the fact to see the sunny ports and do stuff. But who knows? Maybe I would hate it. Maybe I would get there and be like you and say, oh, my God, this is a horrible thing. I think this is an opportunity for the Uber Michael Dukes morning show fans, the fanatics, the real fans, the Dukians, if you will, to go ahead and put together a Kickstarter and get Michael and Terry out there. Uh, courtesy of us here in the chat room and in the uh, 6 a.m. club, we should we should fund this and get Michael out there on a cruise. And then he could report back later 
Uh, did he get norovirus? Did he see a bloody elevator? Anything like that, or just, was it just an amazing time? So I'll I'll kick in the first five dollars right here, right? Now. <laughs> the first five dollars, which would be just enough to <laughs> just enough to let me hit half of the buffet line on the way through for day one. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Chris, thank you so much, my friend. As always, great to talk with you. We appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Um, all right, folks. We are out of time for today. Tomorrow's another one. I'm starting to feel that holiday spirit. I'm thinking this is going to be a good Christmas. You know, some years you feel it, some years you don't. I'm feeling it this year, for sure. All right, we will see you guys tomorrow. Again, be kind, love one another, live well. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.